you're listening to a best of episode of Questionable Material with Jack and Brian, a mostly improvised podcast produced in New York by Jack Helmuth and Brian Sack. QMPodcast.com. Jack, Brian. I have a friend. His name is Brad. Yeah. Okay. I know Brad. He's, he's a director. Mm-hmm. Directs movies. Did The Machinist many years ago. That's a great film. Yeah. Dark. Creepy. Yeah, very dark. And, and this is a real friend of yours. Brad exists. He directs movies, uh, television yeah. shows. He turned down Game of Thrones famously. He turned down Game of Thrones. And I like to remind him of that. <laughs> I bet you do. Over, over a cocktail. Yep. He knows that you have incredible talent somewhere within. He he says you're one of the more, un, you are the, the most undiscovered talent in this country. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, uh, as you know, he's tried desperately to get you a role. He's very yeah. strict about auditioning. That's one of the things I really like about him. He's got a, a strict process. You, you get mm-hmm. the scripts, they're cold. You don't get to read them first. You just right. dive right into that character. And, and of course, if, if you can't maintain composure, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, that, that costs you the role. That's all, that's all there is to it. Brad is strict. I know. Hey, uh, you know, uh, actors have their methods and directors have their methods. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize him, especially when I'm trying to get into his movie. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so let's yeah. see. He's got a, he's got a script for you. He thinks you'd be great for Brad is producing Ooh. an offshoot of the Mandalorian. I'm going to just send you the script right now. They're making so many different uh, new Star Wars shows and movies that the, I guess this makes sense. They're yep. looking for all sorts of uh, established Hollywood talent. Yeah. Yes. Like every 15 minutes, there's like a new Star Wars. He would like you to read uh, the setup for this. All right. Uh, okay. <clears throat> okay. That's fine. So take it away. The new spinoff of The Mandalorian. Great. Okay. Good it's, luck, Jack. Thank you, Brian. Interior spaceport bar. The bounty hunter enters the bar. <laughs> Already? And, <laughs> shoot. Uh, <laughs> the bounty hunter enters the bar at Woo. <laughs> At Wu Tang Spaceport and approaches the waitress, who is a sexy lady, but she's dressed like an alien. So she looks like a sexy alien who is really hot. Hey, welcome to my space bar. Can I get you anything? Sure. Get me a space martini, please. Shaken, not stirred. One space martini coming up. That'll be 12 blues. That's what we call our currency here in Wu Tang. That's dope. I'm Aggie, the sexy alien. Hi, Stanley Fett. <laughs> Nice to meet you. Or Gweeboop, as we say on my planet, Glubnub7. I was on Glubnub7 a long time ago. It's a shame what happened to Glubnub1, Glubnub2, Glubnub3, Glubnub4, Glubnub5, and Glubnub6. Yeah, I'll never forgive the Empire for that. Such a dicky thing to do. Ha, I'll drink to that, they toast. I like your armor. Thanks. It's very strong and powerful, like a beefy man. I got it at a space Costco. Oh, sweet. <laughs> or flick and blap, as we say on Glubnub 7. Say, do you know where I can find an Ewok? Sure. What's his name? Oh, name doesn't matter. Just has to be an Ewok. Are you a bounty hunter? Actually, actually, I'm more like a booty hunter, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you like doing space sex with Ewoks? No, no, not that. They have a valuable gland on their brain stems. I kill the Ewok and harvest the gland and sell it to the space Chinese people who have a rich history of untraditional medicine. Well, if you walk five blocks north, that's the Ewok part of town. (laughs) 
<laughs> five blocks north. Yeah. You'll know you're there because the phone booths are only three feet high. <sighs> Normally when I'm done reading a script, I say, how did I do Brian? Yeah. But I, I'm going to skip that part and just say, uh, maybe you could just send me the next script. I'm going to send you the next script. The Daniel Morgan School, a private educational institution named after the eponymous Revolutionary War hero. The school has provided a top-tier American educational experience for over a century. But after 104 years of academic excellence, we're dropping all pretense and changing our name. America Sucks Academy. America Sucks Academy, suddenly providing a K-12 indoctrinational experience to boys, girls, theys, thems, and their shocked parents. I'm paying $50,000 a year to have my 12-year-old told he's an oppressor. An all-new curriculum, advised by an ideological activist with a questionable doctorate. <coughs> a specialized curriculum that helps students know what to think, not how to think. <coughs> An extensive library of books curated and removed by individuals whose humanities degrees couldn't even get them a non-paying job at the Huffington Post. America Sucks Academy. A system for students to anonymously report bias incidents they've been conditioned to think they're experiencing. Affinity groups for almost everyone. An energized faculty eager to share their dogmatic beliefs with your children. I want my students to understand that this country is a racist cesspit without explaining why people from every race on the planet want to live here. America Sucks Academy, a K-12 indoctrinational experience. Ask about our government pays for it plan. I think longtime listeners of our podcast will know that you're... um. You're a preeminent uh, time travel uh, expert. Yeah, I do love chronological uh, travel. W would you mind just sort of talking through some of the big events that you have already lived through in 2021? Absolutely, yeah. W when you came back to the present day, you sent me an email saying that there was um, a very memorable, um, a very memorable Super Bowl this year, where there's some some crazy some crazy fans doing some things, and um, uh, you know, I'd love to hear about this year's Super Bowl and 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 the the controversy. Well, the NFL um, saw that the numbers were dropping a little bit. Their 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 displays of uh, political uh, opinion, mm -hmm. uh, their their kowtowing to some ideologies and things had, had upset a lot of their fans, and so they wanted to to bring it back. They wanted to win their fans over. So now every quarterback gets a scimitar. <laughs> Oh my God! They're allowed to to hack and slice their way to the, to the end zone, as they call it, and that's added a degree of kind of excitement and, and adrenaline and homicide that that the game hasn't really had in the past. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in the past you might have the occasional injury, but of course back then they were allowed to wear helmets and padding, uh, and now you know this with their grass skirts and paper mache body coverings that are designed by school children. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes it much more colorful. Uh, Troy Aikman. <laughs> yes, Troy Aikman. He's, uh, his, his uniform was designed by a, a group of school kids in Kentucky, and it was very cute. It had a lot, a lot of drawings on it. Um, 
but the scimitar cut right through those. And he obviously, you know, bled to death on the 30 yard line. <laughs> which, which I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, that's is news right there that uh, a 54 year old retired uh, quarterback uh, has returned to the game yeah. uh, to be killed on the field. I mean, that's, that's big news. Yeah. Well, he was brought back. He was one of the few football players who hadn't expressed a political opinion. And so <laughs> people were willing to actually watch him play football. So uh-huh. in that respect, it was great. Uh, but yeah, the, the fact that he got a scimitar kind of like right between the, the neck and the shoulder blade and, and kind of staggered forward a little bit and then spun around, fell down and then slowly bled out while the referee did his thing. <laughs> what? What, what is his, I don't see already this future code that you use. Yeah. You got to realize that we're not right. with you in the future. What is the referee doing his thing mean? The chicken dance. <laughs> That's a new thing. They want to spice things up. You know, some guy get out there shouting about rules. Uh-huh. It's dumb. It's very dry. It's very dry. So now, you know, somebody's, you got Troy Aikman bleeding to death on the 30 yard line. And then pop, 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 And, you know, the audience gets into it. They're cheering. And it's much more festive, obviously not if you're lying on the 30 yard line, but for the rest of the players, it's kind of a fun thing. And it's nice to know that Troy Aikman went out with an audience singing in unison the chicken dance. That's nice to think of. Well, I mean, I certainly would prefer hearing that than to the the, the screams of pirates or things. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's all relative, really. Yeah, I guess so. Huh. Um. I, you know what? Straight up, I'd watch that. I don't watch football anymore, except for like the Super Bowl, just yeah. to be part of the American conversation. I would start watching football again. I I can see how this works. The ratings went through the roof. Man. Because the team that wins gets to shoot the opponent's team out of a cannon. That's, I mean, they say football's a violent sport. Yeah. So I, I hope people aren't belly aching about this. Obviously the, the Kentucky Tinders won, but um, you know, it was, it was an exciting game. If you like football and, and that thing at the end with Troy being shot out of the cannon was really quite moving and touching and literally touched everybody <laughs> in the audience. What, how, why literally? Well, because they used too much explosive powder. And so it kind of turned him into a fine mist, which a wind, you know, and drifted all over the crowd. Ironically, uh-huh. uh, Troy had been residing in a nursing home in upstate New York. And so he had COVID because that was the governor's plan. And so uh, this You're mist. Really this this uh, okay so it was a super spreader event it was a super spreader event <laughs> so you know right into the year and next thing you know a huge spike i don't want to spoil too many things but be prepared i would say you know buy your masks buy your bleach and your toilet paper and your handy wipes and all the other things yeah okay um well that's good to know and and you said there was a a really unforgettable musical performance at this year's super bowl there was. Who, perform, who, who did they get this year and, and what happened? What was the big controversy this year? Well, they reunited the Beatles. <laughs> Holy shit. Yes. Uh, it's exactly. I not to swear, but that's amazing. It's what everyone said. Yeah, no, it was, it was pretty incredible. Oh my God. The greatest band of all time reunites yes. at the Super Bowl? Yes. 
at least two of them are dead. I know. And that that's what you know, people are like, well, you know, is this going to be like somebody going to stand in for John Lennon? Is somebody going to stand in for George Harrison? No. They, so what they do? They prop the caskets up on stage. Uh, and then they started the song. And then they opened up the caskets. And, you know, people were expecting, uh, like, you know, the remains, these skeletal remains might tumble out of the casket. Uh-huh. And, of course, that makes total sense. And that's what happened. <laughs> so the band was missing two major elements. But seeing Ringo and Paul McCartney together again with their two deceased friends was a sight to behold. I bet. Because I, I, I imagine a lot of people think like Bruno Mars or whatever is going to like pop out of the coffin and be right. like, you know, what's up? Can't buy me love. Right. Something like that. But it's, it's in fact John Lennon's 40-year-old, 41-year-old remains. Yep tumbling out of a coffin. Yeah, it was. Uh, and, and, you know, anaerobic decomposition had kind of reduced him to a kind of a jelly <laughs> uh, with bones. And it was just, it was fascinating. I mean, you know, you had people, you could see people kind of like straining to see like, does, does that resemble the John Lennon I knew? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, m some people saw the similarities. Other people were like, no, that's not the John. I, the John I know you know, had his trademark had a, face. had a face and a trademark glasses and was a bad dad. But the music really, you know, Ringo's, he still got it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was playing the drums. He was weeping. Uh, Paul McCartney <laughs> was, you know, doing his thing with guitar and keyboards and weeping. He didn't necessarily want to be there. That was mandatory. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like I, I was at a Beatles concert in the 60s with people screaming and screaming so much that you could barely hear the music. <laughs> Uh, and just drowning out the the song, you know, the half version of Can't Buy Me Love or um, <laughs> version. the version, you know, I Am the Walrus that didn't have any uh, guitar vocals. I mean, it's just like, it's just crazy. It was, it was really amazing. Right, right, right. And and they brought Yoko Ono on at the end to what, what, what happened in the, in the end with Yoko? You said it was a, a big controversial moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they brought her out on stage. And there was a ladder and, and hanging above the ladder was a note just, and, and, and so they, it was like her, it was reminiscent of her art. And uh -huh. so she climbed up the ladder and at the top, she looked at the note and the note said, die. <laughs> and then upon reading that out to the crowd, a single, uh, solitary arrow shot from a compound bow pierces her skull. <laughs> and there's this, and she just kind of turns to the audience and realizes that all this time they didn't like her <laughs> and that her, her constantly saying weird crap would just like had finally triggered them. And, and the, <laughs> the, the crowd rose up uh, in joy at the sight of her toppling off the ladder with this uh, arrow that had pierced her skull. And, uh, and then as tradition now dictates, everybody did the chicken dance. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's tradition. I, hard, hard to believe the future is, is like this in four weeks from now. It's going to be fascinating. During a child's formative years, they generate two to four metric tons of sentimental but worthless doodles, drawings, clay sculptures, and more. We all know it's crap. Primitive techniques, shoddy workmanship, potholders that conduct heat, 
Yet most parents simply cannot bring themselves to throw anything out until now. My name is Michael Burroughs. Four years ago, I founded Shit Tossers, the solution for sentimental but sensible parents who know deep down our kids' priceless artwork is neither artwork nor priceless. At Shit Tossers, our highly trained, emotionally detached staff will come to your home and work with you to take your child's collected works and mercilessly toss them in a trash bin. That's not a cat. Your kid drew a circle with four stick legs and two rudimentary triangles for ears. It's garbage. Let it go. Macaroni glued to the inside of a shoebox? An artless waste of food. Trash it. A ball made out of clay? Wow. Who are you fooling? Every day, kids generate piles of worthless rubbish that fill boxes, bookshelves, closets, attics, and more. Maybe you can't bring yourself to do what needs to be done, but we can. Call Shit Tossers today. Not responsible for tossing abstract art that looks like children's drawings. Jack. Yes, Brian. Monetizing a podcast. It's a dream, right? Uh, the dream. Well, I have an opportunity. You can make money reading obituaries on your podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so they just want you to read an obituary. And the only thing is it's solemn. You know, this is about death. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you, you have to be courteous. You have to be respectful. And of course, mm-hmm. you, you have to be serious. Yep. There's no, you know, laughing at the prospect of somebody being dead. So what they do oh. is they send you obituaries, you read them on ear, and if they're happy with the the read, you get paid. God, I, this is great. You need to be serious and respectful. This is obituary. This is about death. And if you do that, we'll get paid. Paid, great. If you mess up, you're not respectful enough, we don't get paid. And they okay. want you to treat their loved ones with respect. Okay. I, of course, I, that's all I want to do. I'm, I I'm so sorry for their loss and that's something I want to do. Let's do this. All right. And I'm sending you the obituaries now. Great. So can I just get a chance to read them ahead of time? No. This needs no. to be okay. done now. Oh, oh, I didn't know it was a- There's no reading ahead of time. It's not, it's not respectful. Is that, is that respectful to read ahead of time? No. It, it might help me. No, because they want okay. your genuine, caring read. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm ready. I just got the obituaries, which I have never read before. That's right. And I, I'm, I've opened it and I'm ready to go. Well, I wish you would. Solemn. Solemn. Michael Bleary, 62, of Shankersville, Pennsylvania, returned to the loving embrace of the Lord last Thursday. Michael passed at his home, surrounded by his loving family, closest friends, and a man hired a... <laughs> so sad for his loss and a man hired as a roadside mascot for Picante's Taqueria who is dressed up as a potentially problematic play <laughs> as a potentially problematic blackface taco Michael was born in Millsburg on August 24th 1958 the son of Melvin and Amanda Bleary he graduated from Millsburg High School where he excelled at basketball he was affectionately nicknamed Snapperhead because of his locker room habit of using his towel to whip teammates <laughs> in the penis. Hmm. 
After graduating, Michael enlisted in the U.S. Army and proudly served until he was discharged as a corporal. Afterward, he moved to Shankersville, where, being an entrepreneurial sort, he founded the I Have a Truck and Can Help You Move Your Broken Down Car Company, before later changing its name to Mike's Towing. Michael is survived by his high school sweetheart, Rebecca Hafferty, and their children, sons Michael Jr., Mikey, Mike Mike, and Count Michaela, and his darling daughters, Michaela and Nipple. Their seventh child was summoned home to the Lord during childbirth, but had he lived, they would have called him Survivor. (laughs) Michael loved his family dearly. Even Mike Mike, whose outrageous and performative flamboyance makes Liberace look like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. (laughs) Michael was beloved by people who knew him. He truly touched everyone he met, though nothing was ever proven in a court of law. Michael faced lung cancer with a combination of bravery and incandescent rage. (laughs) Oh, man. He could often be found uh, accusing Arthur Singh, the local convenience store owner, of complicity in his death for selling him unfiltered Lucky Stripes for so many years. Funeral services will be held this Sunday. In lieu of flowers, please go to Arthur's convenience store and make that son of a bitch pay for what he done did. How'd I do? Not so good. This is the interview you've all been waiting for. Governor Andrew Cuomo. Governor, are, are you there? Yeah, Jack, I'm here. I'm here, Jack. How, how are things going in the state of New York with COVID? I have been on top of this since day one. If you read my book, you would know exactly where we stand and how I conquered COVID. And, and yeah, you know, and your book, and that's what you're here to promote, is uh, American Crisis Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic. What are some of your leadership lessons? You get on TV, same time every day. You drive home the fact that you are doing a great job, whether or not you are. You see how I did that? I punctuated words, Jack. When you punctuate words, they sound more official. I guess, but but what, so, but what are some of your, um, your actual lessons of leadership that you, you yourself learned from the COVID-19 pandemic that you'd like to pass on to Americans? Well, Jack, there are lots of leadership lessons to be learned. And if you buy the book and you should buy the book and you will buy the book, then you will know. Lesson number one, Jack, never own up to any mistakes. Don't do it. Okay. Stop yelling at me. You make a mistake, you move on. You don't dwell on mistakes. And by dwell, I mean, report them. I mean, record them. I mean, keep them around. You take them, you put them in the shreddy, you burn them, you whack them, you do what you have to do to get the job done, Jack. What's another leadership lesson you learned from the COVID-19 pandemic? Surround yourself with pretty ladies, Jack. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay, here we go. Now, certain type of alpha male man, Jack, is absolutely energized by attractive women, their silky soft skin, their bosoms, their bottoms, everything about these ladies, Jack. Okay, and ha- you need energy, Jack. You need energy to come from the virile, lovely women who are filled with energy and estrogen and things you love, Jack, and they empower you and you can give a speech every day at the same time, letting people know how great you are at your job, whether or not you are. This is something my my co-host Brian was on way before the national media. I wish he was here to really sort of revel in his moment. I guess you moved COVID patients uh, 
back into nursing homes and then it sort of spread COVID and killed uh, there's countless old people and then you didn't sort of report it. Can you sort of talk about what happened there? I can, Jack. I can. I was told these were dying homes. These were places where people went to die. I thought, what is better to help them get on their way than to put sick people in with them and spread this virus? Everything I did came out of a place of care and compassion. And when something gets in front of you, you destroy it. Okay. So the Tappan Zee Bridge, uh, a, a bridge that's- Mario right Cuomo Bridge, Mario Cuomo Bridge, Mario yeah, Cuomo you, Bridge. Right. So you you built a new bridge or replacement Tappan Zee Bridge, and then you named it the Mario Cuomo Bridge after your father. I did not name it, Jack. This was an honor bestowed upon my father, Mario Cuomo, by the state legislature. I had nothing to do with it. I was in the shower. You, you you were in the shower that whole legislative session. I have a lot of people working for me, Jack. They all need to be clean. They're all beautiful women with silky smooth skin. I need to clean them. I need to loofah them. I need to soap them up. I was not present while the legislature bestowed this honor for which I am very grateful upon my father, Mario Cuomo, Jack. Leadership lesson number four, Jack, keep your employees happy. How do you keep your employees happy, Jack? You rub them, free back rubs all the time, when they want them, when they don't want them, when they ask for them, when they don't ask for them. Naps, naps with them, naps around them, spooning, touching, feeling, rubbing, Jack. All of these things, they keep employees happy. If they say otherwise, they're liars, Jack. Well, if, they, if someone doesn't like something, I, I, I can't imagine they would be lying about that. Jack, I did not like the Kennedys, yet I married one. <laughs> How did that turn out? With divorce, Jack. Jack, women are liars. They're born liars. Why do you think they're called women, Jack? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Think Why? about it. Whoa, man. Whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about, you liar? <laughs> All right, that's... I'm not resigning. Coming soon. A bold new look at the discovery of America. From Pulitzer Prize-winning revisionist historian Nicole Hannah-Jones, inventor of the 1619 Project. Now, see the discovery of America through a thoroughly ahistorical lens. The 1490 Project. A lightly researched and largely unsupervised look at the real discovery of America. An account challenged by experts, but not the New York Times. An ingenuine masterpiece, says the Washington Post. So perfect that it has to be true, says Rolling Stone's Sabrina Erdely. The 1490 Project. The true story of the discovery of America by Adolf Hitler's great, 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 great grandfather Bruce. A story that could only be told by Pulitzer Prize winner Nicole Hannah-Jones. The 1490 Project, in Schools Friday. Jack. Yes, Brian. As I have expressed to you in the past, as podcasts grow, uh, sponsors come. Yeah, I know. I can't wait. And, you know, it's not sponsorships are nice. They they provide you with a little extra fundage, as we call it in the podcasting business. And uh, so I've we've been approached and uh, these are potential sponsors who, who are looking to give us money for this show in return for advertising their product and or service. 
Yes. Yes. So, and they want you to read. And the only thing is, you know, you can't break a character reading these spots. You need to, they just want a proper delivery of their spots. That's all they're asking. They're looking for maximum professionalism. Maximum professionalism or no dollars. That's what they told me. Okay. That's fine. I'm, I'm a total pro. Okay. Then I will send you, they sent me, they sent me the ad and I will send it to you. You haven't seen it. I have not read so, it at all. And I didn't yeah, even know we were doing this today. Yep, you just got to read it cold. That's all I ask because that's what okay. they want. And they're the sponsors. They're the ones with the money, so they make the rules. They sure do. Here you come. Hey. Just please uh, you know, be professional. Okay, I just got it. I have opened it, and I am ready. Ready? Yes, please. Can you can you do like call action and make me sort of feel more like yeah. a professional? Yes, yeah, sure. Okay, Jack, we're, this is our potential promo spot for our new potential sponsor. Read away. Can you just say action though? Oh, sure. Action. Questionable material with Jack and Brian is brought to you by Tim's Diner. Open 24 hours every day. Tim's Diner has no food, but does have several lovely ladies you could pay, pay to have sex with. Technically, that <laughs> Technically, that makes Tim's Diner a brothel. <laughs> and we can change our name accordingly. But when your wife sees Tim's Diner on the credit card statement, you'll thank us. <laughs> Tim's Diner, open 24 hours. <laughs> Located right off the interstate. Tuesday night is seniors night. <laughs> Tim's Diner is BYOB. Vegetarian options available. Her name is Tina. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we lost Tim's diner. Are you, are you, are you a fan of Subway? No. Can you w- walk us through the, the revamped menu at Subway and, and tell us some of the things that we can expect to find on the menu today okay. uh, and moving forward? Yeah. Uh, well, I think one of the bigger changes is the foot long. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's 10 inches. Man, the foot long is only 10 inches. Yep. That's, and it's not, it's not called the foot long. Oh, uh, the, the foot long is not called the foot long anymore. What what is it called? Uh, Peter North. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you know him. Yeah, I, I I sort of know him. He's a pornographer, Jack. Yeah, I know, Brian. He make, yes, he I makes, know that part. He makes movies naked with other people who yes, are naked. A, yes, as a star in front of the camera talent. Yes, he's legendary, Jack. He has, he has a lot of talent. He's gushing with talent, Jack. Um, wow. So the so they're, they're, are they are they partnering with Peter North or are they just like co-opting his name? Well, they, they are partnering with him because they wanted to get away from the, the debacle that Jared turned out to be. Right. So, so they want, they don't want people to think about sort of like pedophilia. They want people to think about more like straight heterosexual consensual sex. Heterosexual guy who can ejaculate for hours. That was what they came out of the meeting with. What, what Madison Avenue nonsense is that? That seems like a bad idea. These guys are executives. They know what they're doing. They're highly educated people. Uh, they've been around <laughs> and they'll, they, they've made this decision. They want Peter North to be the new representative. <laughs> um, 
he's going to, there's going to be a life size Peter North in every subway. Uh huh. So life size, you mean to scale? Yes. And then he'll be holding the subway, the Peter North subway. Mm-hmm. You know where. In, in his hands. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So obviously you, you don't get a celebrity mm-hmm. and, and put a cutout of him in your stores, a life size to scale cutout of him in your stores without also um, having him available uh, and in commercials yes. in, in your brand new ad campaign, especially when they're doing like the biggest sort of revamping of their 50 year history. Clearly yep. they're going to put some money behind this. Yep. Do you know what, uh, what some of the commercials are going to look like on some of the advertising for uh, the new Peter North? Yeah. I mean, you're going to, so it'll be, you'll see his face and it just looks like he's doing, so far he's, so good. he's doing something right. And you just, and then you see him bite yep. his lip and his eyes roll back in his head. And then he lets out this tremendous moan and the camera pans down to a Peter North with tuna. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful girls on her hands and knees holding the Peter North with tuna. And he's Mm -hmm. just so excited. Mm -hmm. And he just takes it and he gets into a jacuzzi and then starts to eat it. And he looks at the camera uh-huh. and he says, this is delicious tuna. And I mean tuna. Right. Really countering that lawsuit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's important. <laughs> They've been defamed. And Peter North is going to clear their reputation. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just so we're clear. You're telling me that the Subway uh, sandwich chain of restaurants, yes. a publicly traded company, mm-hmm. has decided to have this porn star eat a tuna sub in a hot tub mm-hmm. and have that be the, the, the face of their franchise. Yeah. I mean, there'll be, mm-hmm. there's also going to be a back head of the franchise. Oh, uh, what does that mean? It's just going to be bobbing up and down in the foreground oh. <laughs> as he's eating the sandwich. So there's a face and a back head. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, that's, that's just one, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get this guy, you, you shoot, you know, you shoot, you bank probably seven to 10 commercials for the year. Yep. That you're going to run and, you know, unveil at certain times, obviously Super Bowl ad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be among them. You know, it's the Super Bowl's only about, uh, you know, six months away mm-hmm. that, you know, they're already planning for those round of ads because it takes a while, takes some money to shoot those. A lot of, a lot of time and planning goes into those. So obviously they, they must have Peter in, in mind for one other sort of big, one other sort of big commercial. Can you sort of walk us through what you know about that so far? Yeah. Well, there's, you know, they, they've got all these new options, all these new items. And so there's a guy and he's very flustered. He's like, the big game's about to start. And he mm-hmm. wants to get back to the stadium. And there's so many options at Subway, you can't decide. And that's the tagline. Right. I can't decide. And so he's digging through, he's going down the assembly line and the guy's making his sub. And at the end, he's like, he's like, do you want any sauce on it? And he's just staring at it, staring at it. He's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then you hear this angelic noise mm-hmm. and he looks over 
And in the corner of the subway is Peter North. Yep. Behind it, he's got wings. And, oh. and, and he looks at the guy and he smiles. And then you see the guy turn to the clerk or to the sandwich maker. And he mm-hmm. says, you know what? I will have sauce. And it oh. just shoots in from off camera and lands right on his sub. And then the guy wraps it up, hands it to him. And the guy dashes off to the Super Bowl. Here's a movie I'm curious at how, how and how and why. How, why would you make this movie? It's called Shoots and Ladders, the movie? Yes. Why would you take that beloved uh, board game, uh, generally meant for children? I mean, you know, once you're, you hit six, seven years old, you're done playing that thing, I think. What, Shoots and Ladders, the movie. What, what is that movie about? So Shoots and Ladders, the movie, yeah. So, you know, I was playing the game with my kids. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a euphemism for, you know, success and failure, how you, you know, your neighbors, you know, kind of like, oh, I'm doing better today. Oh, I'm not doing better today. Oh, life threw me oh, a curveball. Oh, I won the lottery, that kind of stuff. So, you know, this game kind of shows how life can be very random, right? One minute you're, mm-hmm. totally. you're the, uh, you know, what is it? The, the cock of the walk. And the next minute you're a feather duster. Yeah. So oh, nice. I, I approached Milton Bradley and yeah, I exactly. said, uh, I'd like to make this a movie. And they, they were super excited. So they sold me the rights. And what I did in the business is called a trickaroo because, <laughs> a trickaroo, um, okay. yeah, cause I really had no intention of making a movie about the board game. I just liked the name recognizability is what we call it <laughs> in show is business. Is that what you call it? Name recognizability okay. uh, or name recognition would work. And so, you know, everybody knows that game. Everybody's played it. So my thinking was they're going to see Shoots and Ladders, the movie on a marquee or on the Netflix queue. And they're like, oh, I know Shoots and Ladders. I'm going to watch that. Yeah, heck with it. I'll have 10 bucks in a couple hours of my time. No big deal. So then they press play, they rent it, whatever. And then they get into the movie, which is, is about a demented sex cult. So, um, <laughs> What? Yeah, it's a it's they're called the blood fornicators. Uh, it involves ritual sacrifice and uh, and heavy swinging, and and it's just a it's a brutally vicious and 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 vulgar and uh, sexually liberating film. Um, and uh, I mean, Milton Bradley won't return my calls. They're furious. Obviously, they feel like they've been, you know, right? They feel like they've been yeah. uh, misled, and and they were. I'm being honest. <laughs> I, uh, I took it in a completely different direction. They, you know, they've accused me of sullying the, the name and in, in order to make some cheap bucks. And, and I said, yeah, uh-huh. uh, absolutely. And I, you know, my, my biggest mistake was putting that in writing. Cause I'm sure that'll come up in the court case. Well, for sure. It's something I should have said over the phone, but, uh, absolutely. You know, I've learned my lesson. Yeah. Lesson learned. Um, but so I hope everybody watches it when it comes out, if it comes out. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, uh, it sounds very shocking. It sounds like uh, it'll at least get people to generate some buzz, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, this, it's already, it generated so much buzz. Who are you thinking of having in the movie? Uh, Kira Knightley. Okay. <laughs> so she kind of caught wind recently and, and um, she made an announcement that she'll never do another love scene directed by a male. Oh, is that true? Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, well, then I'll build the love scene around you. So it's basically just, you know, her looking off into the field and then uh, I swapped out a scene where a bunch of people are doing it in a cornfield and then it just cuts back to her and she smiles or cries depending on the scene. 
Okay. Uh, shoots and letters in the movie. Yeah, it is. All right. D- don't don't watch it with your kids. No, definitely not. Welcome to Osama bin Laden International Airport, formerly Hamid Karzai International Airport. Now with nonstop flights to Karachi, Pakistan, Lahore, Pakistan, and Islamabad, Pakistan. The yellow zone is for vehicle-borne improvised explosive devices only. Please do not park in the yellow zone. Please do not leave females unattended anywhere in the airport. Unattended females may be removed without warning and may be destroyed. Please remove all belts, sandals, and suicide vests and place them in the trays. Women, kindly do not remove your shoes or anything. Thank you. Let's do number two. I'm going to get this next one. Uh, Let's see what we've got here. I'm going to send it to you now. This one. Oh, it's called Trauma Center. Ooh, Trauma Center. Uh, So it's a new series, Jack, for Peacock. Peacock Network, which is one of the many new streaming networks. And Trauma Center follows the lives of several doctors in a Chicago hospital. And uh, you'd be reading the role for Dr. Jennings. And uh, so if you get this, you're going to be Dr. Jennings. It's one of the main characters in in Trauma Center. Uh, I'll read for Curtis, who's who's a man whose loved one is in surgery. Okay. Okay. Interior hospital waiting room. Curtis, I'm playing that, paces nervously in the hospital waiting room while Dr. Jennings approaches. That'd be you. Looking grim and serious. Mr. Curtis, hi. Doctor, any word? I'm afraid we lost your gay husband on the operating table. Oh my God, no. We tried our best, but in the end, we were unable to save your gay husband. I'm, I'm very sorry. But how? What happened? Things were proceeding normally, but then your gay husband's blood pressure spiked. <laughs> and? We administered some medication to normalize it, but then your gay husband's heartbeat became erratic. Why? We believe your gay husband may have had some kind of allergic reaction to the blood pressure medication. So we treated the arrhythmia with medication, but that caused your gay husband to have restless leg syndrome. And? Your gay husband kicked the... Your gay husband kicked the surgical light, which shattered it, which got broken glass inside the incision, which obviously we then needed to immediately get out of your gay husband. Well, did you? We did. We did. We did. But the broken glass caused internal bleeding, which we had to immediately address so that your gay husband didn't lose too much blood. And? (laughs) Well, we were able to staunch the bleeding, but by that time, his blood pressure had spiked again. So we had to administer medication to normalize it. The medicine that he might be allergic to. Bingo. And then it became a vicious circle. Long story short, your gay husband kicked out four surgical lights. Oh, God. I'm very sorry for your loss. We really did everything we could to save your gay husband. Listen, why do you keep referring to Bruno as my gay husband? It, it, it's redundant and, and weird. I'm sorry. I, I've just never operated on a gay husband before. <laughs> well... They've existed ever since Barack Obama changed his mind on the issue, so I think you should get over it. You're right. I'm very sorry. I hope I didn't offend you. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Thank you. The last thing I want to do is upset a gay widower. <laughs> what other no. ways are, are you guys, is DC sort of um, 
planning to like clean up Superman in both the uh, uh, comics and the movies. He's a little too masculine. Yeah, he's pretty ripped. Yeah, he's a, he's definitely like a man's man. Yeah, so he's you know super man. Well, hey, of course that's a little bit uh, uncomfortable for some of us. Yep. The idea that this you know big strong guy is a man. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I think super person without a cervix. <laughs> you know, it's just that's not you know it's a little clunky. Uh huh. Look, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's a super person without a cervix. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's on the masthead of the comic now. That's it's that's do you fit all that in? Well, we have to do wider comics now because the standard comic <laughs> size doesn't really accommodate it. <laughs> well, thank you for cleaning that up because that you know that's always bothered me. That like, yeah, why does he have know, to be a man? Right. There's plenty of other aliens who can be men, but why Superman? Yeah. Why does this planet that he comes from, Krypton? Hmm. Uh, you know, why, why did they have a gender binary? Like, what's up with that? Is that why uh, Krypton blew up? Yeah. Well, Krypton blew up because it wasn't inclusive enough. <laughs> so that actually caused a chain reaction inside the planet that, right. you know, blew it up. Yeah. And there's a lesson to be learned there. Of course. And, and so the super, the Superman's alter ego, Clark Kent, you said there are some changes made to Clark Kent as well. Yep. Uh, he's, you know, he's gender non-conforming. <laughs> so, you know, when he has to change, you know, he's got, sometimes he's in a skirt, sometimes mm-hmm. a set of overalls. It really <laughs> just depends, depends on his mood. So Superman will go and, and battle villains in, uh, over, <laughs> in overalls. So you can't really read what his body is. Obviously the, the tight underwear on the exterior that gave away a lot. Yeah. No, we don't want people assuming that he's got a, a super package down there. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he's had a vaginoplasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he's he's tucking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so you know, we're going to leave it up to your imagination. So he's going to wear overalls. Yep. Demi Lovato plays a huge role in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, they is one of my favorite singers. So that's yeah, that's they great. great. They is great. All of that one person. They needs attention. <laughs> and now I know, um, and this is this is true, um, that um, there's a, a new Superman uh, comic uh, where I guess the son of Clark Kent and Lois Lane um, c- uh, comes out as bisexual. And there's um, uh, a comic with him uh, wearing the Superman outfit, just smashing face with another uh, with a purple haired man. Yeah, you know, we want to, we kind of want to drive that stuff home. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, jam it down your throat, pun intended. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> you know, because our, our our concept was that you know there, we should just infuse this gender identity stuff into everything. Um, yep. You know, we hope to see it in in all the comics, in menus, uh, in the uh, time and temperature. I just, you know, we want it everywhere. <laughs> Right. Okay. And he's he's getting he's, he's getting his own uh, series of comics. Oh, really? Yeah, Superman's Son. Oh, uh, tell us about that. That sounds great. Um, I mean, he's basically just going to have sexual relationships with all the other DC heroes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's he's just going to go through in, in all the episodes. He's just going to smash a new. <laughs> 
a new so it's going to be Batman one week and then Robin one week and then Wonder Woman one week because he's bisexual and then Green Lantern and so on. Yeah, I mean, it's basically because he doesn't have any superpowers per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than like a, a tremendous scream when he has an orgasm, like he just does this <laughs> phenomenal shout. Uh huh. And he'll have catchy taglines for each different superhero. Like, oh, like what? That sounds fun. I love your bat thing. <laughs> you know, he'll say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, oh, Wonder Woman, that's not invisible, is it? That's weird in you. That's kind of weak. <laughs> uh, what about, um, uh, you know, what about when he's uh, with uh, Robin, Batman's sidekick? I mean, I, he just says, I knew you were gay all along. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys are sort of half committing to this, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, weird. And and now obviously this is spilling over to, to the other uh, properties in the DC universe. Um, mm. And you, you said you guys were uh, really changing Batman. I mean, like doing like a full remake of Batman and the city of Gotham to make it just not so offensive because obviously, um, you know, it's Batman is very triggering. Can you tell us about those changes? At the request of the, the, you know, the city leadership, they're like, just, can you stop enforcing uh, laws? Yeah, they don't like that. And he's like, okay, fine. So he's just kicking back at Wayne Manor. Mm-hmm. Just doing, you know, he's he's playing a lot of PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, so, and then finally they're like, oh, you know what? We we need you again. This is a mess. Right. Can, can you tell us about the, the new Batman movie that's coming out in March? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, obviously uh, Two-Face, you know, doesn't work. Because that's a face binary and it really should be a spectrum. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so how many faces does Two-Face have? Polyface has <laughs> multiple faces. Okay. <laughs> it's a very complex character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess. Wow. Okay. So, so Batman takes on Polyface in the yep. new Batman movie. Yeah. Okay. And, and obviously people are always clamoring for more um, battles with the Joker. Does the Joker make appearance in the new movie? Yes. We're changing his name to no joke. <laughs> and it's, it's played by Hannah Gadsby from the net. <laughs> That is perfect casting. Thank you. Put on the show, Daddy. One sec. The following episode of The Muppets contains demeaning portrayals of Swedish chefs. Hold on. The following episode of The Muppets contains insensitive stereotypes of pigs and may be considered fatphobic. One second. The following episode of The Muppets contains scenes of cookies being wasted, which may be considered insensitive to people who live in food deserts. The following episode of The Muppets contains mathematical concepts developed by Western European males and excludes ways of mathematical understanding derived from the lived experience of indigenous gender identity, hate speech, Holocaust, capitalism, Belgians, heteronormative, colonialism, gonzo-erotic asphyxiation. You know what? Let's just watch Porky's. 
I think maybe it'd be more inclusive if we let me read the copy ahead of time. So that way I know what's coming. Nope. Okay, here we go. Questionable Material with Jack and Brian is brought to you by Kenasaki Kobe Beef, the number one Kobe beef exported from Japan. The Kobe beef method provides the most outstanding beef you'll ever taste. Kobe cows are fed a healthy diet of high quality ingredients. The cows are massaged every day to keep their meat tender and free of fats and toxins. And our cows are humanely slaughtered by artisan cow. By artisan cow. By artisan cow executioner Hideki Tatsumi. Every Thursday, Hideki comes down from, from Mount Fuji wearing nothing but a silk thong. Wearing nothing but a silk thong, thong and a katana. He carefully selects which cows will be slain using a selection process going back many generations. He approaches. <laughs> he approaches the doomed cow on tiptoe, plays traditional music, offers it flowers. <laughs> and persuades it to feel comfortable and loved when the cow's fears have been subsided and Daddy strikes. <laughs> <laughs> with lightning speed he draws his family's heirloom katana from its scabbard and at a single stroke perfected by grandpa kito during his 1937 expedition into china separates the cow's head from its delicious body the cow has no time to experience fear which prevents the secretion of fear fluids into the meat which can leave a bad aftertaste after honoring his ancestors by lighting incense and wiping tears with a lotus leaf, Hideki then processes the freshly slaughtered Kobe cow right there, using stereotypical ninja-like slashes and saying, Hiya! And Banzai! And stuff. <laughs> Until delicious Kobe steaks are piled high on the severed head so as to avoid contact with the ground. Once you try Kinsakane Kobe beef, you'll know the difference, and eating anything else will bring shame upon your family. Kenosaki Kobe beef. So good that a basketball player named himself after it. Well, we didn't get that sponsor. We uh, adopted a cat back in uh, the very last week of September. And as we've sort of gotten used to her, I know you're a big cat person. Yeah. Um, as we sort of uh, had her acclimate and stuff, you know, we sort of figured what we'd warm up to her and, and she would sort of warm up to us and everything. Um, well, it is now, you know, the middle of January and I can officially say that I, I, I don't like my cat. I think she's an asshole. I'm over her. What are some ways I can get rid of this cat and not get caught in the act? Uh, well, what you do, you have a printer and a computer. Yeah. You're going to print out a piece of paper that says, congratulations, you've won. <laughs> and it's a free trip for one to Catropolis. <laughs> Catropolis is a mega city for cats only. It's 300 <laughs> miles southwest of Chicago. Okay. Uh, and it is filled with scratching posts. And uh, I'll give you all the stuff to write. You know, it's got scratching posts galore and a variety of foods, some with gravy, some pate. I mean, just fantastic, delicious foods and mice galore to chase and birds to kill. Birds it, with broken wings. Yeah, but they can't get away. It's a fantastic place for cats. And your cat, what's your cat's name? 
Kiki. Kiki. So Kiki, you, congratulations, Kiki. You have won a trip to Catropolis, yada, yada. And what you're going to do is you're going to mail that to your cat Kiki at your address. You're going to open up. You're going to walk into the house in front of all the kids. Like, oh my God, Kiki got a letter. What's this from? You open up and you read about her exciting trip to Catropolis. Then what you do is you take the cat to the quote unquote airport for her trip. And you come back and you tell the kids, you know, she's super excited. She couldn't wait. She should have seen her face on the plane. She'd never flown before. She couldn't wait to go to Catropolis. She's having the time of her life. Uh, and then a couple of days later, when the kids are watching their TV show, you burst into the room in tears. And if you want tears, just rub uh, onion under your eyes and you'll have tears. Okay. And you'll say those goddamn North Koreans. And your kids are going to look up and they're going to say, what? What did Kim Jong-un do? And you're going to say, he nuked Catropolis. <laughs> and the kids go, what, what does that mean, daddy? What does that mean? That means Kiki's dead. There's no way Kiki could have survived. It was a 45 megaton blast. And you'd cry some more. And you say, well, at least it was very quick and painless. Man. And then you move on. And the kids learn not to trust North Korea. <laughs> and they, they understand that death is a part of life. Yeah. Okay. I guess it makes a lot of sense. Um, it makes sense to me. <laughs> I, I challenge anyone to find a hole in this plan. I mean, it's, it's really great. Thank you. Now let, let's get, let's get on to the, uh, to the, the, the darker side of this. What do I actually do with Kiki? Oh, that part. Yeah. Well, that's what's going to happen between, you know, right after you, quote unquote, go to the airport. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. So you're going to take your cat, Kiki. And cats, you know, have a sense of direction. Mm -hmm. They can find their way back. Yeah. Scary. Not if they're in a purse. Uh-huh. So does your wife probably has several purses. Yep. You pick, Cla it's a classic. Pick one. You, you know, she doesn't use that often. Sure. That she might not mind the interior being scratched uh, to oblivion. Mm -hmm. And you take Kiki and you put her in the purse. Okay. And good. you hit the road and you drive for a solid two hours. And you look for a place with woods. And when you get into a wooded area, you look for a gas station, a remote gas station on a side road. Maybe yeah. beat down with a pump from the 60s. It doesn't even mm -hmm. look like it'll work. And there'll be some guy working there and he's in overalls. He's an older man and he's looking very rural to you. And you're just going to say, excuse me, sir, do you think there are coyotes in these parts? <laughs> and he's going to say, yeah, I believe there are. I've seen some black bears too. And then you're going to say, great. And you're going to open up that purse and dump Kiki on the ground <laughs> and say, go. And then you hop back in your car and you drive away. Right. It, see, that's a good plan. I'm not sure it's a great one because then there is the fear. There's will always be that doubt in my mind. You know, every time the doorbell rings, I'm going to be afraid it's her. You know, just that little, that little, that, that last thread isn't tied. It would take an awful long time for Kiki to make her way back to your house. And if she did, it would be a sign, one, that she's very intelligent, and two, that she's incredibly vengeful. <laughs> so I would be scared. 
Yeah. Which is why let's forget about the dropping her off with the coyotes thing. And we'll go straight to the shovel. <laughs> so you're talking to the old man, you say, are there coyotes around these parts? He says, uh, yeah, I believe there are and maybe some bears too. Uh-huh. I'm going to say, great. Do you have a shovel, sir? <laughs> and he probably will. It's a service station. He's got some kind of implement and he'll uh-huh. loan you the shovel and you just start beating the purse with the shovel. <laughs> And then you give him back the shovel and you open up the purse and you dump it on the ground. You say, that's coyote food. And then you get back in your car and you drive home. <laughs> that story, it seems like I've wasted a lot of gas just for that outcome. What, what do I do with the, the gas station guy? Because, you know, he's borrowed a shovel. He's kind of just watched me. It probably won't be recognizable what was in the purse. Yeah. But he'll know I just did a, a pretty heinous act. I mean, let's. You're right. Let's be. Uh, so I just like, you know, do, how do you I mean, do you pay him off? What, what do you do? So you have a printer, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. No, it's established. So you're going to get a printer. And you're going to write a letter. Congratulations. Maybe his name's Hank. If it says Hank service station, it probably is. Yeah. Congratulations, Hank. You've won an all expenses paid trip to Hanktropolis. Uh-huh. Um, okay, I'm ready. I just opened it. All right, then. Okay. Annabelle McKinley, 50, of Tyson's Grove, died on Saturday after a hard fall. A lifelong Tyson's Grove resident and owner of a local dog grooming business, Annabelle was known to most residents of the town. She still lived in her childhood home, not far from Klein Airport. Every Saturday, Annabelle would watch from her back porch as planes from the Tyson's Grove Skydiving Club took off. Annabelle would cackle with glee watching the parachutists leap from their planes and slowly descend from the clouds. I'm going to do that someday, she would tell friends and neighbors. Someday that will be me up there. <laughs> it's the second time I've completely broken. You do this to me. <clears throat> On the occasion of her 50th birthday, Annabelle booked her introductory parachuting session. As a first timer, she would be jumping tandem with Edgar Weissman, a seasoned parachutist and childhood friend. In the hours prior to her jump, she notified friends and family to. To look up in the sky. <laughs> to look up in the sky and be ready for a big surprise. <laughs> be ready for a big surprise at noon. <clears throat> Video from Weiss's GoPro camera shows an excited Annabelle experiencing the greatest thrill of her life. She appears absolutely fearless, laughing as they leap from the plane. Her smile went from ear to ear and only dissipated when Edgar's shoddy harness, made in China and purchased on Amazon, tore and separated. At the 52-second mark of the video, Annabelle's expression changes from sheer glee to abject terror. 
The footage of desperate Edgar Weiss attempting to grab hold of Annabelle is compelling and heart-wrenching, and unfortunately was uploaded to YouTube. As Annabelle slips from his grasp and to her doom, her shrieking will... (laughs) Her shrieking will be seared into the memories of her friends and family for all eternity. Although grateful to have been present well when Annabelle was called home to the Lord, 93% of Tyson's Grove residents <laughs> now suffer from PTSD. A memorial service will be held as soon as she is found. <laughs> Ed Milton thinks she's somewhere in Hillsdale Forest. <laughs> well, not getting paid for these obits. Uh, Captain Crunch cereal. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, that's kind of unexpected to be on this list. What 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 are they doing differently? And honestly, um, it's uh, obviously Captain Crunch is a sugary cereal, mm-hmm. and and overconsumption of sugar is a huge problem. Of course, uh, sugar is an addictive thing, and and it has you know in in large quantities that a lot of people get it. It's not healthy. Uh, and Captain Crunch, they know that. They know it's not the healthiest cereal, but they want to be totally honest about it. Yeah. So um, it, the slogan now is is worse than Wheaties because it gives you diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> so they've owned up to it. Oh, gosh. that's <laughs> Yeah, I, I that's really cool. That's really honest. They know the consumers are skeptical. We, you know, consumers have been trained to be skeptical, skeptical about everything. They don't trust the media anymore. They don't trust politicians anymore. And they of course should not trust, um, uh, advertisers anymore. And advertisers are getting on board and being honest. And that's, what's great about this whole campaign. Yeah. This, this new wave of things. I I, I like it. Um, you, so it, I'm hearing that the captain is being either replaced or uh, or massively changed. Yeah, he's in a wheelchair because he had his feet amputated. How 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 do the how do they show that or explain that? What what? I mean, I assume he doesn't just show up on your boxes now in a wheelchair. Well, you know how the back of of cereal boxes have games. Yeah. So there are certain games like, you know, help remove the captain's feet because there's no blood circulation anymore. I see. So the storyline is within the maze. It's in the maze. And so uh-huh. you're kind of, you know, and that way you're, you're eating your cereal and you're helping the captain remove his feet because there's no circulation. Man, that's going to be a uh, Saturday morning is going to be a little bit different. A little sadder, maybe. Well, you know, more thoughtful is how we look at thoughtful. it in the advertising business. Mm-hmm. We want people to think, but they also are going to appreciate not only the delicious flavor of Captain Crunch cereal, but the honesty of Captain Crunch. And because of that, people will respect the brand more and they will look at, you know, frosted mini wheats and be like, you sons of bitches. You never <laughs> admitted how bad you are. Yeah. You, you've been touting the wheat part. Mm-hmm. And here we are, Captain Crunch. We know we're terrible. We know we're bad for you. We're owning yep. it. And yep. consumers wow. are going to ride their little mobile shopping carts right up to the Captain Crunch and load those things up. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's great. It's great that we have a new, um, uh, differently abled uh, uh, person on our cereal boxes as well. Yep. No, it's 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 inclusive. Yeah, it really is. That's that's big. Um, uh, speaking of which, uh, Trojan condoms. Yep. Um, that's, you know, it's, it's difficult to sort of talk about, but we have to not be immature just because it happens to be a product 
you know, for sexual intercourse. <laughs> um, tell us about the the new um, the new honest Trojan condoms. Yeah, the new honest Trojan condoms. Of course, you know, there's a stigma with condoms. People are embarrassed to buy condoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they go into the store and, and look around with sheepishly and and are embarrassed if the if there's a lady working behind the register. Yeah. Uh, they're embarrassed if they're buying the extra smalls, um, a <laughs> little prouder when they're doing the magnums, mm-hmm. you know, a little more of a chest out kind of thing with the magnums. Sure. But, um, you know, Trojan knows, you know, these things are going to wind up in trash cans or being flushed down the toilet or on the sidewalk, you know, depending on where people experience their joy. <laughs> and, uh-huh. and so. <laughs> On the floor of a shed. On the floor of a shed or, a, you know, a, a day spa trailer, mm-hmm. whatever. You know, these things just wind up there. Yeah. And so, you know, they know that ultimately their condom is going to wind up in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> That's right. So it's basically the, the condoms now are animated. They have personalities. Oh. Okay. And on the commercials. Like, you remember the... the uh, the raisins, the California raisins, the stop Love motion, them. the stop yes. motion. For the, so that it's a stop motion campaign, but they're condoms. Oh. Uh, and then, you know, they just sing a song called After the Women, We Go Swimming. And it's just about how they wind up in the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> because they get flushed, uh, flushed to condom heaven. That's right. And so, and, and they're just having a great time swimming in the ocean among the dolphins and the blue whales and things. And everybody's just mm-hmm. kind of swimming around having a great time. How many condoms do you see in the commercial? How many uh, used condoms floating in the ocean do you see? I mean, fr- from the shot, we've established 450 to 500,000. <laughs> but you Gosh. Know, you, it's kind of up to your imagination. You know it's a lot. Uh-huh. But, you know, we, we're anticipating some pushback uh, because, you know, after the women, uh, let's go swimming, um, <laughs> you know, is it, female specific. But also, you know, males use condom with, with other males. Mm-hmm. apparently the point and um <laughs> yeah. so you know we're we might be tweaking the tagline okay um, yeah if you could just remember it for me yeah i'm thinking um uh after the bum pacific here we come <laughs> yeah that's um I mean, I appreciate the honesty, but I don't necessarily want to have that on during the middle of a, you know, a, a blacklist or scandal or something. Well, you know, it's the honesty. It's the I get it. It's the honesty of of you know the the a brand acknowledging what their product does and where it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I don't necessarily need to know where they all go. Gosh, it's got to be a filthy, filthy area of ocean. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, why, why do you use that word? Because you kind of, if you're scuba diving and you're looking around and you're seeing all the beautiful sea creatures and then this just a school of condoms is the, is what they call it. Um, you know, trying to figure out, oh, where did they come? Like, I wonder where that one came from. Was it from, you know, Mexico or India or, or New mm-hmm. York City? Like, how did it get here? And what was its journey? Wow. Um, okay. Well, tra- Trojan condoms. Yep. United States in the lead. Jamaica close second with Canada catching up. France, Senegal still have a chance with China, India lagging as we round the track here in Tokyo. Hold on. 
USA is heading off the track. Looks like he just wants a little me time. Nothing wrong with that. Jamaica now indicating his legs are tired and that he's just not that into it anymore. He's down for a little stretch. Canada passing Jamaica, but now it looks like he's headed to the press box to share his feelings about the treatment of Canada's indigenous population. Senegal and France making up the difference now. Neck and neck, neck and neck. Hold on. France just took off his shoes and threw them in the air in what seems to be a gesture of apology for France's colonial past. Well, good for him. China in dead last, but giving it his best. At this point, the most he can hope for is that the Olympic Committee will bow to Chinese government pressure and give him the gold. Oh, that's what happened. Gold for China, silver for Senegal, and India bronze. What a race. Coming up next, men's weightlifting, if anyone feels up to it. Um, Okay, uh, uh, how do you handle graduation parties? Um, You know, it's standard fare that, uh, you know, a a lot of parents um, throw graduation parties for their kids and all their friends. I I was invited to a number of graduation parties. What, um, what's your advice for throwing a good graduation party for, for, uh, uh, you know, 17, 18 year olds? Well, um, it's not based on personal experience, Jack. Uh, I I did not go to any graduation parties. I had, didn't even know that was a thing until just now that you've mentioned it. And oh I'm looking back at my past and I'm realizing that's what they were talking about when they said the the GP is tonight. And then they would look at me and be like, like the GP is tonight. And then they kind of look at me and look at me and they'd all look at me and I'd be like, what is a GP? What is a GP? And they just wouldn't tell me. Now right. in retrospect, I understand they were having a graduation party Yes. And they didn't want me to know about it, probably because I would have gotten so excited. So now that you uh, know about them, what would you recommend uh, as a first timer <laughs> who graduated three times and was never invited to a single graduation party? What would you recommend people do for their parties? Well, obviously, parties, you want to have fun. Yep. You know, a party without fun is like a Nazi without a swastika. That's a bad example. It's a, a party without fun, Jack, is like beer without alcohol. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Better. Better. It's like a fire truck without a siren, Jack. Okay. You got it. When I say better, it, it just it means good enough and it, just go on. It's <laughs> like an airplane without an aileron. Everybody knows what fun is. Where do you go for fun? Well, clearly you need escorts. <laughs> Escorts okay. equal fun in anybody's yeah. book. Yeah. So you go to the escort place. Okay. You say, can I have six or seven of these escorts? Mm-hmm. We're having a party. We're having yeah. a GP. <laughs> can they come? Uh-huh. And, and then the, the man in charge of the escort says, well, that's up to you. And then he does a wink. <laughs> Gross. God. <laughs> I didn't need to know that. Okay. All right. So you, you hire a bunch of escorts to just as, as happy go lucky party goers. They happy go lucky party goers just to spice things up. What do you need to have fun, Jack? Well, let's think about it. You need a dream catcher. Okay. What's a dream catcher? It's a stick with some yarn on it that catches dreams, Jack. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you need a dream catcher. Okay. You need um, a water fountain. What? Why do you need a water fountain? Can't you just serve kids uh, cups of water or punch or even bottles of water? No, because this is about the future. And if you have cups, that's plastic and that'll be around too long. You want everyone to just sip from a water fountain. 
Okay. All right. So you rent escorts, you rent a water fountain, and you create a dream catcher. This this is good advice. Anything else? Trampoline. A trampoline. Interesting. Okay. Why would you want a trampoline? Well, you need something to protect you from the sun. <laughs> so you're using it as 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 a tarp and not something to jump on. Exactly. Now you don't want to jump on it. You fall off and get hurt. So you go underneath and it kind of diffuses sunlight. Because of course, the best time to have a party is 12 noon. Why? It's the lunch hour. I, I guess so. so. So you would say to have food at, at the graduation, right? You can certainly have food. Just make sure it's under the trampoline. Make sure the escorts don't sit on it and don't eat it with a dream catcher. Man, I, I, I hope people brought a pen and multiple pieces of paper to this session of questionable material. This is a lot of good stuff. It is good, Jack. Um, it, you also want asparagus, Jack. You want asparagus. Why? Because asparagus is very special, Jack. Because when okay. you eat asparagus, it makes your urine smell. Yes, it does. But only 40% of people can actually smell it. Is that true? It is true. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And then you play a fun game called Who's the 60%? <laughs> okay. How do you play the game? Because uh, everyone loves a good party game. Uh, everyone loves a big PG at a GP. Well, you get yourself a Dixie cup. You put a little asparagus urine in it and you pass it around. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, thanks, Brian. Thanks for sharing that party game with us. I'm one of the 40% Jack. <laughs> right, is that true? It is. Okay. Man. I, I didn't think there was anything that I didn't know about you, but uh, once again, you've proved me wrong. One of the 40%. <sighs> wow. I'm a 40 percenter. You are. <laughs> uh, okay. I, you know, the last thing, the big pressure at this time of year is from the graduates themselves, yeah. especially those who have to make a graduation speech, right? Yeah. There's a lot of pressure. It's probably their first time giving a speech and speaking to, you know, not only their entire class, but their parents and all of their friends' parents their boyfriend and girlfriend, all of this stuff. It's, got, it's a lot of pressure. What are some tips to writing a good graduation speech? What do you want to have in there? How do you write it? Get, you know, get, break it down for us. Well, I didn't write my graduation speeches. Oh, okay. I let other people write them. How so? Well, uh, there are lots of people out there every day writing and writing and writing. Mm -hmm. So there was no reason in my mind that I was going to sit there and waste time writing something when someone else has done it for me. And that's okay. why I walked right up to the microphone and I looked at everybody, you know, kind of made eye contact. And then I just said, base, how low can you go? Death row. What a brother know. Once again, back is the incredible rhyme animal. The incredible D, public enemy number one. Five O says freeze. And I got numb. And I continued. And then I left. Wow. How, how, how was that speech received? Well, I was sued by public enemy. <laughs> I mean, to crack down on a kid's graduation speech, I mean, you're not lifting it and putting it on TV or the radio. Chuck D is a very angry man, Jack. Whew. 
Okay. Um, Came after me with the full force of uh, Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. Oh, man. Really bitter. Really mean. Okay. Well, I'm, you know, despite that, I remain a fan of theirs. What, uh, and any other final um, graduation speech thoughts? Any other, like, little things that you would definitely include in a graduation speech if, if for a kid who's graduating? You want a memorable graduation speech. Sure, a lot of, of people get up there, they make very boring speeches. Yep, standard fare. Standard fare. It's kind of like the Oscars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you don't want right. to do that, Jack. You want to have an interesting speech. Yeah. So when I got up there, I pretended I was being attacked by bees. <laughs> really? Yeah. This, is, this was the second speech you gave? My second speech. My second graduation, I got up there, I began... Hi, everybody. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. It's great to be graduating again. Ah, ah. And then I started screaming and then running around the stage and swatting in the air. And people started freaking out. They didn't know what was going on. Right. And I just kept screaming, bees, bees, bees. Oh, my God. Did, did people get up? Did it create a, a panic? It, it created a hell of a panic because I started saying Africanized uh, murder bees. And they're, 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 they, they were terrified. They, there was a stampede. Right. And they, they flooded out of the auditorium. 12 people died. <laughs> but, but, but no one will ever forget that speech. They can't forget the speech because there is a monument uh, to the 12 people who died uh, and a picture of me. <laughs> and there's a, picture well, of, there's a picture of all the people who died. It was David Stevens, David uh-huh. Michaels, David Bergeron. <laughs> David Windsor, <laughs> uh-huh. David Daniels, <laughs> and uh, Brandy. <laughs> okay, so seven of the 12, you remember. <laughs> you know, they were the ones who really struck me the most. Right. <laughs> because the school lost most of their Davids that day. That was the, oh, I remember reading the, the day the Davids died in the papers. That's what they called it. Yep. Man. And so there's a monument, but you're, you're part of the monument at the school? Yeah, because the, the picture of me swatting at bees was just really, <laughs> it was a really good shot. The school photographer did a great job. I mean, it's Pulitzer kind of material. Yeah, that's great. If they do Pulitzers for pictures. I'm sure they do. They should. Especially at the high school level. Yeah. Well, Brian. You know, you've given us a lot to think about. And, and so thank you for, um, you know, th- thank you for, for, for all this great information. Thank you for having me on your podcast. No, <laughs> damn it. It is your podcast too. I'll be here. I know that's the point. Okay. Next segment. It's coming your way. Great. I'm going to open it. Having never seen this and I'm gonna I've t- never read what is about to enter my inbox. Uh, yeah. This is a new movie called The Modern Artist. Ooh. And it's about, oh, someone's after an Oscar, yeah, I think. I believe it's shot in New York, so. Oh, perfect. So I, I haven't, I've opened it. I have not uh, begun reading it. Okay. Uh, it's about a modern artist. Uh, so interior art gallery. Famous art critic Arthur Delancey, who I'll be playing, enters oh. the gallery where an exhibit is underway. Jonathan Naylor, the artist that you'll be playing, okay. recognizes him and approaches. Oh, Mr. Delancey, uh, what a pleasant surprise. I thought you flew back to London. I changed my itinerary after being told by yet another person that your exhibit was a must-see. Oh, thank you. I told everyone how flattered I would be if you came. 
I'd be happy to show you around. That would be most appreciated. I'll just put my wet umbrella in that bucket full of umbrellas over there. Oh, no, that's not an umbrella stand. That's actually one of my newest pieces. Incredible. It looks just like a five-gallon bucket with umbrellas in it. Yes, I call it et tu, Brute. It's a reflection on the assassination of Julius Caesar. The umbrellas represent the assassin's daggers, and the five-gallon bucket from Home Depot represents Julius Caesar's back. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you. It was challenging. I can only imagine. Oh my, what have we here? Someone must have stolen the canvas of this painting and just left the frame. Actually, it's just an empty frame. To demonstrate how beauty is in the eye of the beholder, we all look at it and see something different. Brilliant! What do you see? I see a blue dot. Might I ask what you see? Yesterday, I saw a beautiful winter landscape, but today, I see Jennifer Aniston eating a quiche made from cat butts. Truly genius. Oh my, it appears as though an aged Asian woman is having a baby in the middle of the gallery. That's my girlfriend, Yoko Ono. Every half hour she gives birth to a potato. Ah, a celebration of motherhood. And then that potato is sliced and fried in peanut oil. Of course, insightful commentary on how childhood affects us. And then the chips are distributed to the people in the gallery to be eaten. Signifying how society consumes you. Now I see why you're considered the world's greatest art critic. Oh, you flatter me. Oh, I can do more than flatter you. My dear boy, what are you doing? <laughs> oh my, is this one of your pieces? <laughs> you're very good at modern art. Thank you. <laughs> People are taking pictures of my installation. Oh my, I'm going to make a Jackson Pollock. Aim for the canvas. <laughs> I thought maybe in the first half of that, you know, I didn't break. I thought, okay, I think, uh, I think I got a roll. It was going pretty strong for you. <laughs> yeah. I was feeling, I was feeling like you might do it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, the wheels fell like off. A, yeah, wheels fell out, fell off and into my mouth. <laughs> well, strange film. Mm, yeah, okay. Well. We're here at the Women's 500-meter Freestyle NCAA Championship Swim Meet. University of Pennsylvania student Leah Thomas, formerly from the men's swim team before identifying as a woman, enjoying a comfortable lead. Final lap for Leah with the other ladies working hard to catch up, but that seems unlikely at this point. Some complain Leah may have benefited from the advantages of being born a biological male, such as with musculature, height, bone structure, and testosterone, but those people need to trust the science. She's a woman now. Little burst of energy as she closes in at the end there. And... Leah Thomas, first place. Holy cow, look at that. She shattered the women's 500-meter freestyle record. Congratulations, Leah. Kerrigan and Miller battling for second place, but still quite a ways to go for them. Leah is up and out of the pool, jumping for joy. Oh, my goodness. She just shattered the women's standing jump record, and she wasn't even trying to. What a day for Leah and for femininity. She's running to the other end of the pool to shout encouragement at her fellow female athletes. Holy moly, just like that, the women's 100-meter sprint record was just 
absolutely destroyed by Leah Thomas. What an amazingly gifted female. Good for she, her. Looks like Kerrigan has moved comfortably into the number two spot. She's crying and closing in on second place. Still a long way to go until the rest of the women finish. Plenty of time for Leah Thomas to make an omelet or build a birdhouse before the race officially ends. But until then, questionable material with Jack and Brian. Oh my God, look at that. Okay. It's coming your way. Yeah, I heard that sound. I guess so. Okay. All right, Brian, I got it. I've opened it up and I'm ready to go. Just tell me when you're ready. Start reading. Okay, here we go. Questionable material with Jack and Brian is brought to you by Purdue Chicken. In 1939, Frank Purdue had a dream to produce the world's finest wines using vines taken from the most prestigious vineyards in France. But then a chicken killed his dad. And Frank's life changed direction forever. Well, <laughs> while caressing the bloodied body of his dead departed father, Frank promised his dad's spirit that he would become a chicken. <laughs> promised his dad's <clears throat> spirit that he would become a chicken Hitler, laying a path of death and devastation that continues to this day. That's why Purdue chicken breasts are literally. <laughs> are literally ripped off of live chickens in front of (laughs) sorry in front of their screaming chicken families Purdue chicken wings are harvested with no anesthetic and absolutely no mercy the death of any chicken brings a smile to to Frank Purdue's face and Frank will only use urinals that have chicken pictures in them and while Frank Purdue realized that his beloved Pappy Purdue was murdered in a single act was murdered in a single act by an individual musket-bearing chicken, he holds all chickens accountable for that crime and will not rest until all chickens are rooted out and destroyed. (laughs) Fuck you, chickens. (laughs) (laughs) Purdue Chicken, available in most supermarkets, even crappy ones like Price Chopper and Piggly Wiggly. Oi. All right. So here we have Madonna's. Oh, Madonna. Madonna's latest album uh that came out in 2019 called madame x yes yes yeah it came out on june 14th 2019 almost two whole years ago and everybody was talking about it if i recall sure 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 um track number two yes. on madame x is the song as you know dark ballet dark ballet yes yeah yeah so what is dark ballet all about what what's something interesting about that song well so madonna um is big into the dark web. And so she spends a lot of time on there. She likes to see uh, drugs being trafficked. She likes to see uh, people being trafficked. She's, she's just kind of, she has a dark side to her. That's, and so she had the idea for how about a dark ballet, which is kind of like a, a, a ballet that's kind of not uh, known to most people. It's kind of operates in, in another uh, layer of, um, of depth. So, at this dark ballet, are you, um, you know, are, are drugs and, and weapons and people trafficked right during the show, during the ballet? Yes. Now, normally in uh, in ballet, you sit there and you're going to watch these people prance around and their tippy toes and tight pants mm-hmm. and, and just kind of guys who don't appreciate the gorgeous woman that they're holding. And and so it's it's similar to that, except... Uh, people will be walking down the aisles offering you an M4, M16, AK-47, a hashish, kush, cocaine, LSD, <laughs> ecstasy, heroin, fentanyl, a mix. 
And so it's, it's different in that respect. Yeah. And the crowd's going to be a little different. Uh, you know, you normally would think that a, a ballet crowd would be a little more of the, the you know, the highbrow crowd, the shishi yeah. crowd, the, the opera yeah. crowd. This crowd's a little bit different. Some of them will defecate in their seats. Some of them will <laughs> wear shorts and halter tops and they'll have visible track marks on their bodies. Some are militia members. Three percenters, and and so it's going to be a, a really diverse crowd of, of people who you you would you not normally see in society. They're kind of the fringe folk, right? Wow. Well, I see why this song didn't get a lot of radio play. Yeah, no, she was, and plus, you know, it's just not very good. But she was really hoping to to create a <laughs> a dark ballet movement. It just never materialized, okay. and she's quite upset about it. I can assure you. She she actually told a local publication. Uh, the the Cleveland Penny Pincher uh, that she was extremely <laughs> upset that it didn't didn't take off like she had anticipated. A lot of her songs had done very well in the past. Yeah, of course they were w- w- well produced, good club songs. Yeah, huh, boy, this one was Cleveland a little Penny different. Pincher. This one, yeah, th- no, clearly, yeah, this was you know she she had a group of people that she had picked up outside of Home Depot. She went to Salvation Army and got some uh, frying pans and. And other objects. And so it's more of a cacophony with her kind of wailing in the background. God, it sounds awful. Yeah, it's not a good song. Okay. All right, well, thank you for the, the, the warning label on that. I, we appreciate it. Dark Ballet. So, Brian, uh, last one. Yeah. I, I found this, you know, this, this ironically, it's, it's the last one I'm bringing up, but it was top of your, top of your pile. So clearly mm-hmm. it's must have been the one either you, you finished most recently or the one that you are sort of most passionate about. Yeah. You know, again, I don't know what your deal is, but it's called the Great Muppet Purge. Yep. I like, I mean, you've written so many Muppet movies, man. Like you, it's a thing. What, what, what is going to make this one different? Well, I mean, this is set in uh, the Soviet Union in 1937. <laughs> and uh, all the, all the Muppets work for the Communist Party in varying degrees. Uh, they're <laughs> all in proximity to Stalin. Mm-hmm. And especially Kermit. Yeah. The leader uh, of the Muppets would yeah. be. Sure. And uh, at some point they, they fall into disfavor with, oh, no. with Stalin, which of course is always a, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at first it starts with periphery Muppets getting uh, sent off to Yakutsk or uh, gulags elsewhere and mm-hmm. uh, being worked to death in labor camps. Some of them in, in mines, uh, you know, freezing cold, not, not enough to wear on there, not even wearing decent shoes in these wet mines and of course dying of pneumonia and, and uh, just exhaustion or, or frostbite or other things that, that killed them slowly uh, or starvation. Um, so like, but that'd be like a scooter and a Dr. Bunsen honeydew type. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, if, and then, you know, Miss Piggy, she's in the Ukraine and, uh, she's starving along with her family and uh, the guards in the tower watching her every move. And she's out working the fields, but she's emaciated. And when she tries to steal even a tiny piece of grain, they take shots at her. So she knows uh, she's a dead woman. If she, if she dares to eat and she slowly withers away uh, and dies. And of course, you know, Bert and Ernie uh, of course are uh, deviants. And so, you know, they are uh, shipped off. Uh, they're part of the Gulag Archipelago and, um, <laughs> and they're both of them are placed on a, an island in the middle of, uh, in the middle of a big river, uh, with, uh, all, several other people, but not enough, uh, flour. And so the flour 
is all they have to eat. There's been no logistical planning. They were literally just left there to die and they slowly uh, descend into madness and kill one another. And ultimately it ends with Bert smashing Ernie in the head with a rock before starving to death himself. So he killed Ernie not to eat him, but as an act of love? Well, he found, you know, once he was dead, he couldn't bring himself to eat him. It just wasn't. And there was very, you know, very little flesh left on his Muppet buttocks. And so <laughs> he just wanders off uh, on this terrible island with just surrounded by death and destruction. Uh, mm-hmm. Ultimately, Kermit's left. <laughs> and, you know, he's alongside Stalin and you know, doing his best to to stay alive. But mm-hmm. at some point he falls into disfavor with La Frente Beria who uh, is head of the NKVD and then uh, (laughs) puts Kermit's name on a list of um, people who uh, need to be executed. Stalin signs off on it. Right. And, um, and he's escorted into a room underground. The Germans did all their killing out in the open, but the the (laughs) Soviets did theirs underground. So he's led into a room and he's, he's given a quick, ridiculous trial and he knows what's coming and, they gather him by either arm and walk him down a hallway and then <laughs> through a door into a silent padded room. They push him down onto his knees and a gentleman from behind who is wearing a leather apron uh, puts a gun uh, to the nape of his neck and pulls the trigger, which normally kills you instantly. But in this case, it doesn't for some reason. And Kermit is aware that he's slowly dying. And so the, the reigning 15 minutes of the movie is nothing but groaning and sadness. And who do you have play Stalin? David Spade. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's a, it's just like, a, it's just like a regular old Muppet movie. Yeah. It's a caper. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's definitely a caper. All right, kids. Well, you know, spring 2022, that sounds like a, a lot of fun for the whole family. I'm super excited for it. That was Questionable Material with Jack and Brian. Subscribe on any podcast platform. Watch our clips on YouTube. Visit us at qmpodcast.com. 